America's Cannabis Conversation. Hello and welcome to a special two-year anniversary show of America's Cannabis Conversation on the W420 Radio Network. And my name is Patrick Holmes on special assignment. And two and a half years ago or so, some guys were sitting around in a room in Northern California talking about the need for an intelligent, uh, engaging show, podcast on cannabis, uh, having an intelligent conversation about what's going on in the industry. And so uh, that day, America's Cannabis Conversation was born, and now we're in year two. And one of our first and best guests we ever had uh, was Big Mike Stramiatis. So first of all, Mike, on behalf of the show, thanks for being a, a regular guest and one of our first guests and and somebody who really imparts just some great uh, information for our listeners. Glad to be on the show, Patrick. It's All right. always good to be on W420. Uh, I love it. So I know people have heard your story. Uh, they've probably read about your story. It's fascinating. You are, you're a Midwest kid like I am, uh, and you started in the uh, turf business and wanted to make things grow better, and, and now yeah. you've developed uh, uh, quite an empire. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Big Mike is the founder and CEO of Advanced Nutrients and also Big Mike's Blends. Uh, and he's really, uh, in many ways, perfected the nutrients that uh, make uh, the cannabis product and marijuana grow like it does. And, uh, and Mike, I would like to have you tell that story, if you don't mind. When you were 19 years old, you decided yeah, I, to, I, to get into the turf business. I did. I, I, I had a, a, a big truck, chemical truck with 12,000 gallons on the back. It was like one of those big Kemlon trucks. And they eventually got bought out by, by True Green. I sold my accounts to those folks, and they're still going today. And I always like to say I've been in the grass business since I've been 19 years old. started in cannabis when I was 23, so I was very familiar because I had to mix chemicals in that tank by scratch and mixing different nutrients and chemicals to make the grass grow. So, Mike, you're doing it now for, for marijuana very effectively, and I've, I've read and heard you say that, you know, you've perfected the nutrients uh, that have really yeah. maximized yield. Uh, so, my, I guess my question is, where do you go from here? Are you still perfecting the formulas, or, are, or have you reached uh, the pinnacle? Oh, no. God, no. Now, we, we have new products coming out now that enhance uh, terpenes, in particular, the, the gas smell. Uh, we're working together uh, with abstracts. And we've come out uh, with a product that increases the gas smell in the plants, the LG, uh, by 560%. Just advanced nutrients alone increases the gas smell by 33%. And this new product, will, we're going to be calling it gas, uh, it will absolutely increase it to uh, another 500% uh, above that. So, and there's basically five different smell buckets uh, out there. Uh, haze is the next one that we're working on. And you would give this to your, your plants just in your reservoirs as, a, as, a, as an additive. And uh, it's going to increase the, the smell of those certain, uh, certain terpenes uh, that give it that nice gassy smell that everybody loves. So you are not slowing down. Oh, no, no, no. And then we're already uh, we're pushing things through uh, on the hemp front uh, through the EPA that will, uh, you know, do certain things, uh, uh, induce what's called systemic acquired resistance. Uh, and uh, it makes the plant, it tricks the plant into believing that it's under attack, but it actually isn't. And so what it does is produces more resin trichomes to protect itself. And uh, that product is 
going through the EPA right now. And there, there is about, there's another three other products that we'll be putting through very, very quickly. And is all this taking place in the U.S.? Because I know you've got plants all over the globe. Yeah, this is taking, this, this research is taking place in, in the U.S. And those products will go all around the world, of, of course, distributed to, well, we've had 107. We just opened up St. Vincent's, the Grenadines, and we'll be opening up a lot of those Caribbean countries over the next year to year and a half. So that's going to climb to probably about 116 countries here within the next 12 months. Big Mike, one of the things that in your interviews that I hear regularly is that you refer to cannabis users as patients. And I'm fascinated yeah. by that because as you study uh, this product and the effect on the body and the age of the typical new user, um, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that, whereas sure. we're breaking stereotypes a little bit about you know, people that just want to get stoned versus people that are actually using this product for good purposes. Well, let's talk about both. I mean, when you, when you talk about the, the medicinal uh, effects of cannabis, there, there's a multitude of things that have been proven to, uh, to help uh, the general population. But let's just face it, 90% of all humans have had some traumatic experience in their life. And cannabis is one of those drugs that will help you self-reflect and will heal the pain. And I believe that even people who are so-called recreational users, they're not realizing it, but they're using it to deal with the pain of life that they've gone through and what they're currently going through. I can tell you on my own journey that it has helped me greatly self-reflect and find myself and become a better human because of it. Well, and that kind of leads us to one of my questions I had regarding the stereotype that's associated with cannabis. And I watched an interview with you on Fox Business a while back uh, with Kennedy when you were discussing uh, William Barr, uh, a former attorney general, and his resistance, in fact, flat out uh, uh, opposition to to the federal legalization of this product, almost putting a, mm-hmm. perpetuating that stereotype that's out there. How do we yeah. break that? Well, you know, the data has proven that every place where cannabis is that the youth use it less because it's now no longer, you know, that 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 bad behind the curtain. It loses its allure of something bad that their parents don't want to do, and and so that use goes down. Also, uh, opiate use goes down in every single state where cannabis has been introduced. In fact, halfway houses now for heroin addicts are now giving cannabis to the patients. And it's working great. There's a lot of ex-heroin patients out there that now modulate and use cannabis instead of heroin, and it's working. So, Mike, it's almost, well. in that case, it's a reverse gateway drug because a, a lot of the detractors yes. are saying it's a gateway drug, and you're saying it could be used actually in the opposite. It is. And look, you know, they say, I always said that alcohol is a gateway drug. The parents liquor cabinet, you know, kids try that. And they, they see the effect and they, they like it, it's different. And then, you know, they, they, they might go out and, and, and do cannabis. But here's the thing about cannabis. People who smoke cannabis use less alcohol. Every state, again, where cannabis has been introduced, liquor sales have gone down. Right. Here are in, in hard alcohol. And as you said in one of your interviews, you know, alcohol can make you want to drive fast and make bad decisions. And that doesn't happen with, uh, with cannabis. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Kind of, you know, it's slower and, and, and chilling. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I used to talk to police officers uh, and uh, quite a bit about this. And they said, you know what? We don't. We actually don't mind going on calls with cannabis people because they're never violent. They go, the most horrific 
calls that we go on are domestic violence, or, you know, cases where they've both been drinking. He goes, we've seen some of the worst violence just in general yeah. with alcohol, and we don't see it with, with, with cannabis. We're on the phone with Big Mike Stromiatis. He is the founder and CEO of Advanced Nutrients and uh, Big Mike's Blends. And uh, again, this is the second anniversary show of America's Cannabis Conversation uh, from the 420 Radio Network. Um, Mike, how has the pandemic impacted consumption of uh, cannabis products? Well, that's interesting. Because during the pandemic, when everybody's locked in their houses, we, we couldn't even keep up with the amount of fertilizer that was being sold into the marketplace. Uh, people were using a lot of cannabis to cope again with the stress and anxiety. And again, these people are healing themselves. They're not just a bunch of stoners who, who are going out wanting to get high. These people are, were trapped in their homes and they used a lot of cannabis. Delivery services for cannabis were, were, were busier than ever. Now, the downside to that is now that uh, we're, we're getting or seeing light at the end of the tunnel, we're getting out of that pandemic, there's an overproduction right now in the state of California. The prices have dropped dramatically. You know, for outdoor, it's three to five hundred dollars a pound, and, and light depth is six to eight hundred. Uh, you're lucky and indoor, you know, you get twelve hundred now. If you're growing the bomb, and you know, I used to always call it triple A. I was like four A. Those guys are still getting, you know, two thousand to twenty four hundred a pound. You know, a lot of what what came out of California went all over America. Let's just call it what it is. Now with Oklahoma producing, you know, there's five thousand licensed producers in the state of Oklahoma. They're filling that gap in the Midwest up to the East Coast, and America is seeing a glut of, of cannabis right now into the marketplace. And again, that goes to the taxation problem that we're having. The black market is thriving, and it's going to continue to thrive as long as the legislators you know, aren't realizing that the taxation is so high that it's, it's, it's driving the black market. They, people can go to the black market and get the product for half the cost. Now, the downside to that is, let's talk about safety. You know, what are the mycotoxins in there? What are the pesticides? What are the heavy metals? What are they, how did they grow it? What did they use to grow it? Nobody knows. What, what were the inputs? Nobody knows. <laughs> and and so there's a you know not a lot of probably there aren't a lot of let's just call black market growers who do it the right way. And I know there's probably more that don't and, and don't care. They'll use pesticides or whatever to bring that crop in. So if you want the cleanest, safest product, go to the dispensary. And she also asked who was growing with advanced nutrients because in regards to heavy metals, one gram of our product grown with our, our fertilizers are had less than uh, less heavy metals than 50 drops of drinking water. Wow. Yeah. So I want you to get out the big Mike crystal ball. Uh, do you think sure. that the pandemic has is, is helped the movement to legalize this nationally? Or, in, or I think currently we're at 18 states have medical and adult use and mm-hmm. 36 mm-hmm. have medical the last couple of administrations have pretty much said they don't want to legalize it nationally. Do you think that this mm-hmm. movement's going to gain some steam because of the pandemic usage? Absolutely. There's so many people who have used uh, cannabis during the pandemic and saw the results and got them through a really tough time in their life. And I always have to say, Joe Biden, when he first came out, I'm really disappointed in, in, in President Biden. Uh, he came out and said he was against it. And then his, the uh, strategist said, you can't say that, Joe. You, you, you're going to have to be for it. So then he said, okay, he, he's for cannabis. And 
when he got in the office, now he's changed his tune. Now, there's a couple things that will change that. The 2024 election, he's going to have to use that again for his platform. We have to hold him to his word. And it'll probably be legal in 2024, 2025, federally legal. There is one thing that can affect that sooner, and that's a downturn in the economy. And and they're going to be looking for new revenue sources, and cannabis will provide that. They have already talked about a 5% federal tax on cannabis, which isn't bad, considering most states have 50% or more. When you start thinking about their taxing all the way from cuttings to, to shake, you know, that's the trim that comes off the, uh, the product to, uh, uh, so, you know, the ounces per bud. And uh, then again, at dispensary, they get hit again. Uh, distro guys get hit. There's so much taxation along the way. They have to be more realistic in their expectations. And uh, dispensaries will do better and brands will do better. I see a lot of brands going out of business very quickly because the legal market is an unsustainable market. Now, we're fortunate because we're at the front of the value chain and uh, with genetics and with fertilizer, it's, it's, a, it's a really great and safe and profitable place to be. But I see a lot of companies really struggling and there's, it's just, it's just a meat grinder. I mean, you've got a few big companies like Tilray and, and, and uh, Canopy, you know, they're going to be there the long haul because, you know, they've got one got Peter Thiel money and the other one's got uh, you know, Constellation money and they're in it for the long haul. You know, they're going to be okay, uh, you know, but uh, a lot of these other companies, they're, they're getting in and out of the space very, very quickly. You see this huge churn going on right now because it's, it's just unsustainable because of the taxation and they have, they have to do something about that. Well, we can only hope. I do want to talk just briefly as we wrap up about the Hemp Act sure. of 2018. That was a game changer in, in many ways, yeah. uh, opened up interstate commerce, but it certainly hasn't solved the, the global distribution issue. And, and a federal legalization in 24-25, does that help, obviously, with global distribution and also the banking issue get resolved also? Well, the banking, you know, they're already talking about trying to fix that right now that they realize uh, it's putting a lot of people at, uh, at risk of violence because of the, 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 the money. But the Hemp Act itself, look, you got the USDA waffling, not saying really too much, and, and the FDA hasn't really come out with a proper stance. And so there's this ambiguity. And where was it? There's uncertainty. It, it stopped the flow of investment and, and money, you know, coming in. Uh, and you, you see things like the, the $1.9 billion SPAC that or, you know, the Wrigley's are going to float. They basically tore that up and decided not to get into the industry. Not talking about the hemp side, talking about the, the, the cannabis side, the, the touch side, if you will. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of change going on in our industry now. And, and at the end of the day, it has to do with our lawmakers and just at the, you know, the decisions that they made. What about Delta 8 in Nebraska where the... Uh... You know, hemp is legal to produce. Now this Delta-8 variant is is available. It's less strong, but it does have THC in it. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I've smoked it. I've tried it. It's, it's, it, it, it isn't as powerful uh, as a punch as Delta-9, but you know, Delta-9 is what's on, on the Schedule 1 and Delta-8 isn't. And so it's kind of a loophole, but I can guarantee you that the government's going to clog that, you know, shore that up very quickly, as well as Delta-10. Excellent. Well, uh, Big Mike, we appreciate your time in celebrating our second anniversary show. Again, uh, Big Mike is the founder and CEO of Advanced Nutrients. You can certainly find him anywhere online. Also, 
Big Mike's Blends. Uh, you've contributed greatly over the last couple of years to our program, and we sure appreciate you uh, being on today for the second anniversary, Mike. You know, I love being on here for the second anniversary, and it doesn't seem that long, you know, uh, when I was on your first show, Patrick. Yeah. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for having me on W420, and we'll be able any time, as always. That's americasofcannabisconversation.com on the W420 Radio Network. My name is Patrick Holmes on special assignment, and we'll be back after a short break. Good afternoon from Napa Valley Marijuana Growers. This is Crane Carter in San Lina, California, and we'd like to congratulate W420 on their second anniversary. Everywhere you look, you see stories about cannabis and CBD, but how can you trust that you're getting accurate information? We want to introduce you to a new radio program called America's Cannabis Conversation. This program is designed to help you gain as much information as you can about the cannabis industry. Every week, this one-hour program connects you with experts from many facets of the cannabis business to grow your knowledge and help you make better, more informed decisions. Join the conversation at americascannabisconversation.com. Hello, W420 Radio Network. It's Nancy Burnbaum, publisher with Sensi Magazine here in California. And I wanted to wish all of you folks over at W420 Radio Network a happy two years of great content. Happy anniversary. You do such great interviews. It so, was so good to see you doing interviews of women in cannabis. I love that. Keep that up. Let's make sure we help educate all of our community uh, with all these great interviews and looking forward to what's next. Happy anniversary. You guys are rocking it. Keep it up. now for the lowdown on another high time experience. Here's 420 lifestyle correspondent Rich Walkoff. Well, we all know that California is the epicenter of the world's best cannabis. California grows and sells more cannabis than any state, but the politics of pot remains contentious and confusing. Here to cut through the smoke, the Honorable Willie Brown, former mayor of San Francisco, longtime California State Assembly speaker and consultant to Harborside, California's first and largest dispensary. Welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation, Mr. Mayor. As a matter of fact, I was more than a consultant. I became the president of Harborside until they merged with the outfit in Canada. Okay. So for several years, I served as the president of the organization. I never cleared customs, though, to be able to go in and take anything I wanted to out. <laughs> well, now it's legal. It has been in for four years in California, but still most of the cannabis that's consumed in the state, and it's billions of dollars worth, is still illegal. It, it, the, the, the legal sales are 80, 20% compared to 80% of uh, the, the sales that are done illegally. So what do you think is the, uh, the core issue here to, to turn that tide? Well, I think that the core issue is that we have no way of banking on the side of the legality. That which has occurred directly with the voters, they said it's okay to do recreational pot. It's been a long time 
where we've been doing uh, medical pot, but recreational pot only happened four years ago. But there was no national change. There was no state change in how you manage the resources, the payments, and things of that nature. And as a result of that, you don't have the normal kind of acquisition and opportunity with regular ongoing businesses like those who sell tobacco products. They would be in the business of selling marijuana. They would be in the business of selling cannabis mm -hmm. and all the things that go with it. If there was some way to make sure that the government didn't object on the banking side and they could use credit cards and things of that nature. Unfortunately, it's an all cash business. And believe me, it's not surprising that there's still a disadvantage to those of us who run the cash honest equity side versus those who run the side where they ask no questions. You know, and of course, dual licensing in California makes it a little more problematic because you have local and state taxes, municipalities controlling whether you could have a, re a uh, you know, a retail shop in your community, and 70% of the state does not allow cannabis retail outlets. So you've got high taxes, restrictive access to the product, making it more challenging for the, uh, you know, the, the growers and the distributors to do it the right way, the legal way, and it kind of encourages the black market, doesn't it? Well, fortunately in Northern California, we don't suffer as much as the rest of the state uh, on this issue. Because in Northern California, most local jurisdictions have found a method by which to get tax revenue to them by virtue of authorizing the sale of cannabis products. And that's a good thing. The same thing goes on in the Valley. As a matter of fact, the Valley may even be, the Central Valley may be even uh, more receptive simply because the farmers down there have discovered that the talent of growing tomatoes and grapes and strawberries is enhanced substantially if you are growing cannabis. So slowly but surely, the process is going in such a way that I think there will be cannabis regularly supplied by way of the same method by which you now supply other kinds of farm-produced products. Even, of course, with track and trace from seed to sale, the monitoring of the product is so much better in California than many other places. So you know you're getting a, a product that is clean, that is environmentally sound, but still 80% of the sales of cannabis in California of the $3 billion that was legal, 80% is still illegal. So now you've got environmental issues, you've got gang issues, you've got crime issues and more. Well, it's just a matter of time though, believe me. It is just a matter of time before the elected types become conscious of the fact that they're losing a considerable amount of money by not giving license opportunities on a preference basis for legal sales, because every legal sale generates tax revenues. And believe me, local governments are currently desperate for tax revenues. This shutdown that has occurred since last March and the whole business of the reduction in the economy that has taken place by so many 
methods by which we formerly got tax revenues, we get them no more. I can assure you that the reality that the voters is going to want a continuous level of all those quality services, they have to be paid for, and they clearly now know they can be paid for with cannabis. So that's going to change the political landscape that maybe some people who would be maybe against it on uh, some philosophical or, you know, drug, uh, you know, uh, negative views of it. They're, they're evolving thinking fueled by the economic realities of the pandemic and more. And their own children. It's amazing how many young people are of the opinion that the business of cannabis ought to be regulated in the same way as all other products. That in fact, from their perspective, there is nothing negative about cannabis properly distributed, properly tested. They prefer, however, for there not to be any issue on the environmental side. They don't want it to have grown where you've used pesticides to assist in its growth. They don't wish that at all. And believe me, they're going to live longer than the people who are saying no cannabis. Yeah. Now, have the taxes, you think, become an, an obstacle to the growth of legal cannabis sales in California? I'm looking at excise taxes of 15 percent, local sales taxes of eight and a quarter percent, cultivation tax of nine and a quarter percent. Now you're up to 30 plus percent tax taxation on a product that is not inexpensive to begin with, whereas the black market doesn't have that factor at all. No, they just don't have the problem with reference to the 30% or whatever that figure might be in various locations. I can assure you, though, as time unfolds, there will be the business of treating cannabis no different from all of the products. Yes, they'll pay the sales tax like everybody else pays the sales tax. But this business of specializing a tax unique to cannabis is inconsistent with good judgment. And believe me, people are going to run for public office and they're going to advocate a reduction in the treatment of cannabis for tax purposes the same way you treat all other products. Now, what do you think about the, uh, the government's role in overseeing the industry do you think it's been effective or do you think it has been perhaps a little too skewed toward corporate involvement and less on the, you know, the, the, the roots level or the, the local level of development of the product, either cultivation or dispensaries and the like? I think from a government standpoint, there's been more concern about whether or not I get elected or reelected, period, as it relates to the cannabis, uh, all the business of whether or not it's corporate or whether or not it's uh, private sector, whether or not it's small business, that has been second place. Mm-hmm. The question is, can I get my grandfather's friends and my grandmother's cousins to vote for me? At that age, they're not doing it unless, of course, they are the beneficiaries of cannabis. It's becoming very clear to a number of elderly people that their sleeping opportunities are enhanced by some of the products that comes from cannabis. I lectured over at Rossmore a few weeks ago, and they have a whole senior citizen's village 
that had more people attending the lecture about cannabis than attended any other lecture. So it is just a matter of time before the whole business of the disproportionate control and the disproportionate regulations imposed upon the cannabis industry because of the politics of cannabis rather than out of necessity, that's going to change. We'll be right back. Are you interested in learning more about cannabis? Have you thought about starting your own cannabis business but don't know how? If so, we invite you to join the Cannabis Conversation with other people like you who are looking at the exciting opportunities in this exploding business. Listen to America's Cannabis Conversation. You'll hear from industry experts and get insights into the cannabis industry. For archived shows and for more information, log on to americascannabisconversation.com. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Rosenthal, author of the new book, Cannabis Growers Handbook, which is available everywhere. And I want to congratulate the people at W420 Radio Network, all the guys there who are doing such a great job for the past two years, putting on great shows with great interviews, lots of information, and an upbeat attitude. Keep doing your great work, folks. Keep doing it. This is Morgan Fox at the National Cannabis Industry Association, and I just want to congratulate America's Cannabis Conversation on their second anniversary of the show. Thanks for everything you do and for having me on so frequently as a guest. Rich Walcott for the W420 Radio Network with the Honorable Willie Brown, former mayor of this great city, also one of the leading Democratic figures in California politics for a generation, and former president of Harborside, which was the first and largest dispensary in California. I didn't know you were a, a master of cannabis, Mr. Brown, but nothing would surprise me with all your skills and talents. Well, I'm really not a master of cannabis. <laughs> Let me tell you, I came upon the opportunity to participate with Harborside. My friend Steve D'Angelo asked me to come over and take a look at Harborside. I did. I went over to take a look at Harborside. And initially, uh, they had me doing some legal work. I became so interested in almost everything Harborside was doing, I started to become a spokesperson or in attendance at the opportunity to organize people nationally around the pot issue. That's how I ended up uh, becoming the chair of the board and the head of Harborside, uh, theoretically. Yeah, now that we've seen more states legalize uh, adult use of marijuana, so it, it's growing, yet it's still a Schedule One, federal, uh, you know, federally uh, forbidden product that is lumped in with methamphetamine and heroin and the like. Do you sense that the new administration will make concerted efforts to to make that, to, to make a change on the classification of cannabis? Well, I think that the, the lead on classification of cannabis will have to come from the House. That is where you get the impetus to do it. There's so many other things that Biden and Harris need to take care of. Uh, the cannabis is not high on the list. But the minute it's presented to them, 
It will happen overnight for their acceptance. I'm going to guess that some of what Kamala Harris was doing as a senator will be handed off to some member of the House for the purpose of making sure that it becomes a reality and she will be, I suspect, in those sessions with President Biden, advocating strongly for approval of if it reaches the desk. Well, you are a, a good friend and, and perceived as a mentor to Kamala Harris for many, many years. She sponsored in the Senate the Moore Act, the Marijuana Reinvestment and Expungement Act, which would not only reclassify cannabis and take it away from the Schedule One, uh, you know, stigma, but also would allow doctors at Veterans Administration to prescribe pot. It would impose a federal excise tax. It would allow interstate trade. It would it would change the whole banking system. It, w- it would be an enormous move. It's got to come from the House over to the Senate, and if that happens. Believe me, I think the Biden administration will be enthusiastic. Now, there was a time when Joe Biden was perceived as a man who could reach across the aisle and and make bipartisan uh, partnerships and and alliances and the like. You were known for doing similar, you know, uh, across the aisle efforts in California. Are those days in the bygone past? No, they're not. When we look at the sales of cannabis worldwide, $12 billion in 2018. It's expected to be $31 billion by 2022. So we're seeing an exponential growth. And the other the other influential banking act that's being considered is the Safe Banking Act, Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, which would allow cannabis businesses access to financial services, which right now doesn't happen because of federal regulations. But that's got to be key because the EU allows that, Israel, Canada, Mexico, Brazil. We are way behind the world when it comes to the, uh, the business considerations for cannabis distribution. Well, fortunately, again, a Californian will have something to say about that. Maxine Waters chairs the Financial Services Committee in the House. And Maxine Waters has been there now for 28 years. She comes from South Central Los Angeles area. She understands very clearly what the issues are. And being an Angelino and being from California, being an individual who is on the African-American heritage side, she will be key. And she was really smart when she was a member of the California legislature. But you've been around a number of decades to see the change in the perception of cannabis. So you just talk to me about how that is evolving. It is maybe escalating or, or accelerating faster than anyone would have imagined. Well, it's all because the business of communicating in this country plays a great role in educating people and changing the views of people. And social media does that probably more effective than any others. Social media can be destructive, as the Trump operation has proven, period. But on the other hand, it can be clearly informative, clearly uplifting in some cases, and educational. And believe me, what happens with veterans, we get better reaction when the world knows what we're doing with veterans Many years ago, we only knew about the veterans in our own neighborhood, our own friends, 
our own relatives. Now we know the vet veteran who may live in St. Louis or Mineola, where I came from, or in Denver, or in Washington. It, 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 it's amazing how the communication system can equip us to be sympathetic, sensitive, and humane, mm -hmm. no matter where. Yeah, and, and speaking of the evolution, I mean, Kamala Harris, a few short years ago, was prosecuting people as a, an attorney general in California with marijuana offenses, and now she's one of the leading advocates to expunge those criminal records. And it would really mean a lot in the minority community, in the underserved communities, and the poor people who are disproportionately arrested, convicted, and sentenced. There are so many people whose lives have been altered, whose careers have been destroyed because of the horror laws that we had in place surrounding cannabis, nationally and state by state. Kamala Harris, as a true prosecutor, obeyed whatever was on the books. She applied her skills for the purpose of the content of that against whomever might be so exposed. In the process, she clearly gained a considerable amount of knowledge, and it gives her greater credibility inside of the administration of Joe Biden to be able to say, I was there, I did it, I put some of those people away. Some of those people should not be continuously burdened with a, a tag that they were somehow incarcerated because of what never should have happened. The law was the law then, we changed the law now, we also have to change the history of the law to remove those disabilities associated with people who were so convicted. Fortunately for us, California has always been somewhere near the lead on cannabis. We are that way for a very long time. When it was uh, inappropriate for any legitimacy surrounding cannabis, California came forward first with medical use of cannabis. And over the years, from the late 90s to the early 2010-11, it was clear that the cannabis on a medical basis uh, was acceptable in California, politically and otherwise. California simultaneously was telling the feds, you need to change the rules. You need to take it off of the schedule as being a product that is treated as if it's like all the horror drugs, all the one drugs that are harmful to the bodies of people. We let kind of led the way. And sure enough, a guy named Sam Farr and a guy named uh, teamed up with the guy from Kentucky, the good doctor from Kentucky, and the two of them, along with the Obama administration, instructed the Justice Department to stop wasting money going after people who were doing medical cannabis where there had been an approval by the voters in a given state for that purpose. We, Californians, pioneered that. And so it's not going to be surprising to me that we will continue to pioneer it. And believe me, one of the persons who understood that was sworn in as the vice president. There's no doubt in my mind that that's going to be a good thing 
not only for California, but for the nation on the pot question. Here we go. Willie Brown, former mayor of San Francisco, one of the legendary Democratic leaders in the state of California, and also former president of Harborside, the first and largest dispensary in California. Rich Walcoff on the W420 Radio Network. If you missed any of this and want to hear more or check out the entire interview at W420RadioNetwork.com archive. We'll be right back. Congratulating America's Cannabis Conversation on their second anniversary on W420. Hey, Dr. Jordan Tischler calling, and I just wanted to take a moment to say congratulations and happy birthday to America's Cannabis Conversation. So thank you and congratulations. Happy birthday. And I look forward to seeing you and talking with you soon. Yo, 420 Radio Network, right on, congratulations. Two years, not one year, two years running now. That's pretty good. For you guys to give a guy like me a platform to scream as loud as I can, to tell my story, tell the story of legacy farmers and our people, and also be a steward of the planet with responsible farming practices and integrity brands, changing the world one plant at a time is a lot easier platforms are where it's at. Thank you guys for everything you do. You know, Soil King can't be Soil King unless I can get the message out. The steward of the planets can't be the steward of the planets unless they get the message out. So, you know, gratitude, respect for everything you guys do. And uh, Soil King will see you on the next show. America's newest and fastest-growing cannabis-focused radio network is expanding across the country and looking to add to our sales and marketing team. America's Cannabis Conversation offers listeners insight and information on the exploding world of cannabis. It also gives advertisers the opportunity to reach a hyper-targeted audience, literally neighborhood by neighborhood, in markets all across the country. We're looking for a few motivated individuals that want to essentially run their own local business. To learn more about this exciting opportunity or to apply, visit americascannabisconversation.com. It's time for Women in Cannabis on America's Cannabis Conversation, part of the W420 Radio Network. Didn't you get the memo? Here's Chase Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. This is W420 Women in Cannabis correspondent Chase Roberts. It is a pleasure to welcome an acknowledged innovator, disruptor, founder, pioneer, and CEO. Erin Gore has received many accolades, including one of Forbes' 15 powerful and innovative women in cannabis, and just this year received winner of the North Bay Business Journal's 2021 Women in Business. Erin, welcome and congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having us here. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to be on the call with you today. 
Great. We're excited to talk to you. And I was thinking a good place to start is why don't you tell me what the inspiration was and the mission of starting your company where you're co-founder and CEO of the Garden Society in 2016? Yeah, sure. So I fell in love with cannabis like so many because of self-need. I had my first hip rebuilt in 2011, my second in 2012. I was a new retired athlete, um, division one athlete from college. And I was living in California and I started to explore marijuana. I got my medical card. I was going into dispensaries and there just weren't products for me in the market. This is 2010, 2011. Um, they, they were not tailored to women. They were very high dose. There was no transparency. And so being a chemical engineer, I started tinkering. I love to bake. I love to make. And so I started literally making my own products that I liked. Um, there was a lot of failed experiments to say the least, yeah. <laughs> but I also figured out what I liked. And then I started inviting friends over. Basically my girlfriends caught wind that I had a cannabis lab at my house and they said, I want to come over. I want to come over. And I was like, really? Okay. So this is when the stigma was real. Um, I had recovered from my hips, but I had a really successful big career at a big corporation. Yeah. My husband and I had to have a wine brand with Constellation. We were trying to start a family. I was stressed out from all aspects of my life. I like to say, I felt like I was failing everywhere, even though I was winning accolades and succeeding. It just didn't feel good enough or right. Um, and I kept turning back to cannabis to help me sleep, help me find joy, help me drink less alcohol. And my girlfriends were all interested and started coming over. And we started having these monthly weed exchange parties and the parties grew and grew. The interest grew and grew. And at one party, there was over 50 women at my house. And I looked around and I was like, I'm normal. And all these women are here because they want to learn about cannabis. And so that was really the precipice of creating products that help women find more joy through education and access to quality products. Yeah. And you know what? I wanted to go back to your degree. You have a degree in chemical and biological engineering. I do. Yeah. How, how does that aid you in your discovery process? As you mentioned, you were just doing it in your kitchen. And mm -hmm. it, it's funny, it gives the vision of the old Tupperware parties, but for mm -hmm. cannabis. No, so that's how we started, right? We started as the modern day Mary Kay, we called it. Like we literally. Oh. Our word of mouth marketing, women would bring their girlfriends over. We started in the medical market in California. And like, literally that is how we started um, under the collective model. Yeah. And my degree, like who would have thunk it would have been so useful. You know, my, my university was like, will you come back and give a talk on cannabis engineering? And I was like, like absolutely. <laughs> I will. Sure. Um, but it was great because I was able to do the technology, the stoichiometry. I know distillation, like I had a foundation in chemistry. I had a foundation in math, like all the things that I needed to create cool products. And then I had a corporate career where I was a process engineer. I went into sales, business management. So like, I feel very fortunate that by coincidence, my degree and my experience set me up to be really successful today. Yeah, it was a literal cocktail for success. Literal. <laughs> yeah. Literal. I, how, did, how did working in the wine industry, you were working with your husband mm -hmm. for a vineyard and you guys won an award with that too. Do you feel, do you see there have been parallels compared to cannabis? It's going to be the new wine. There's going to be, you know, like there's sommeliers, there's cannabis sommeliers now. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think it's really interesting. I actually don't think there's as much comparison as people like to draw between okay. this and wine. I think terroir is definitely a thing. I think craft 
producers are a thing. I think just like you find in craft beer, you find in beautiful wine, you find in beautiful weed. But I also think like cannabis takes a really special skill set that a lot of people from the other industries don't really understand or appreciate because it's so nuanced. It's so complicated. The regulations are so significant. Testing is so extreme, you know, so like it's definitely much harder than any other of those industries and much different. Um, But I do think like, look, people love, you can find everything from your box of white Zinfandel at the bottom shelf of a grocery store to your, you know, $200 bottle of Pinot Noir, you know, grown in Russian River Valley. That's gorgeous. And that same thing's going to happen in cannabis as there's more products and more access. There's going to be your grocery store bottom rung product that's cheap and gets you drunk or cheap and gets you high. And then there's going to be these beautiful craft producers and craft cultivators and farmers who create incredible products and not everything is for everyone. And so that's like what you see in this infancy of a market is there's just not enough retail access anywhere in the country in any legal state. There's not enough products and brands and like the industry just has a long way to go to evolve. And what do you, you, why don't you tell us about some of your products you have at the Garden Society? Sure. You have three lines of things you make and manufacture. Um, yep. My understanding is that a lot of it you harvest in Northern California. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So we source from incredible farm partners up in Mendocino, Humboldt, Sonoma. Um, we source outdoor, some mixed light. Um, we really believe in the power of the sun and the sustainability aspect of how we source. Um, all of our farmers are clean, green, Demeter, some form of organic-ish certified. You can't say the word organic because of the federal status of it, but um, we have really incredible partners that we're really proud of. And then, yeah, you're right. We have three effects of products. We have Brighter Day, which is our sativa leaner. We have Blissful Rest, which is our indica nighttime deep pain relief leaner. Um, And then we have Calm and Focus, which is our high CBD line. And then within those lines, we make gorgeous chocolates. We work with a bean of our chocolatier, who is a uh, James Beard award-winning chef turned chocolatier. They formulate incredibly tasting product, chocolate products for us. Um, and then I do the chemi- the cannabis chemistry. And then we have a rosette. So we have little mini dog walkers, full flower, mini pre-rolls. We love them. And then we came out last year with our hash infused pre-roll line. Um, people asked us why. And we said, because girls like to smoke hash. And so <laughs> we came out with their, therefore they need a little bit bigger boost that day. <laughs> I, don't, I have to admit, I don't, that's not seen in the market very often. And right? this also goes back to, I know this is a woman owned company and I know you're a huge, huge advocate for women in the cannabis community. Um, can you tell me a little bit why that our listeners, why is that so important to you? And what are some of the boards you sit on or actively helping in that avenue for women? Um, you know, it's really hard, especially as a female entrepreneur raising capital, running your business. And it's incredible the networks I see of men supporting each other. And so what we decided to do, and we really, Carly and I really believe this, is there's no better way to support each other than to do business together. And so really women need to stick together and have each other's back and help each other out because this industry is so hard and it's so male dominated. And and it's like literally the only time in our lifetime to create a new industry that's not the traditional what you see out there. But to do that, we need to have access, opportunity, capital, you know, all the things we need to do to be successful. And so um, we're really passionate about supporting our peers, our peers supporting us. 
We have incredible, we built a female slate of investors because I had 11 different men tell us that we must not be very good or authentic because no women invested in us. And I said, I'll prove you wrong. And so we have some of the leading women in cannabis who are on our cap table, which is something we're really proud of. And then we just closed our series A where we did another intentional round of women investors and we oversubscribed it, which was 35% women of color. So not just giving women access to the cap table, but really intentionally diversifying the cap table, which is something we're super proud of. Um, So, you know, it's like all the way around, like you never know when a good piece of advice will go a long ways or a phone call or introduction will help each other out. And, you know, women, I say women are our own worst enemies. So often it's why women don't run this country more. So how do we show up authentically and help each other out is something we talk about. What are some of the resources you've utilized where women in cannabis can connect? Can you do yeah, so- or a website or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So we have a couple. So we have um, some wonderful chat groups on Facebook. There's a lot of community groups online, um, on Messenger, on WhatsApp. So really joining those groups and like really connecting in there has been a huge resource of peer-to-peer connection. Um, We also have used things like um, Hello Alice. It's a um, entrepreneur resource center for underrepresented founders. So we we had a sponsorship, um, excuse me, a scholarship program there with a lot of resources. There's also a lot of like Female Founders Institute and a lot of resources online that help people. How do you pitch? How do you ask for money? What's an angel? How do you structure your deal? Um, and then honestly, I think the biggest thing is just putting yourself out there and saying, this is what I need help with. Because if you don't ask, you'll never get. And if you don't connect, you'll never be connected. So just really being authentic and about, this is what I'm good at. This is what I need help with. Let me introduce you to this person. Can you introduce me to that person? And that goes a tremendous way. And we see so many men doing that in our space. And I, we saw such a void of women doing that, that we really are trying to take an active role in driving this behavior of women supporting other women through through that. So what are your next steps as a woman's advocate in cannabis? And what are your next steps for the Garden Society? Would you yeah, guys great question. You uh, have new products coming, new concepts. <laughs> What's happening oh, over there? really excited that we're launching this month, later this month, Wine Country Gummies. They're going to be first of their kind to the market, fast acting, full spectrum, wine flavors. It's going to be super fun launching in California. Um, And then we just closed our Series A, which we're really, really proud of. Um, So with that use of funds, we're going to be expanding into new markets. So you're going to start seeing Garden Society in the Midwest and on the East Coast soon. So that is um, huge for us and a huge workload, as we all know. (laughs) We're a scrappy small team. So uh, we, you know. I think it's structure after strategy, right? So we're figuring that out. Um, and then um, with regards to like how we support other women, there's a lot of conferences coming up. So we're doing some angel networking events. We have some peer-to-peer education centers. There's a women-led conference coming up um, with Roth. That's really exciting. So um, just participating in our ecosystem and showing up and helping make introductions and helping, you know, be a really good support network and, and really propelling everyone around us. Cause I, I firmly believe all ships rise with the tide. Absolutely. And you also afford people an opportunity. Can you explain what the garden parties are the yeah. for people to spearhead their own um, opportunities within the industry? 
Yeah, exactly. Well, so they're kind of like that. So garden parties were started in the medical market in California, and it was our way to do word of mouth marketing. So it was our modern day Mary Kay, where we have a host, they would invite their friends, we would talk about what is cannabis, what is THC, what is CBD, if we really led with education, we're a B Corp, and education is core to our mission. Um, we had a gardener, we called her, and she would go in and facilitate this discussion, sell product. Um, we figured out how to commercialize it into the recreational market. So we were running them compliantly until COVID hit. With COVID, we actually put everything on hold for the garden parties, but they are core to when we start up in new markets. So we're going to be looking for these brand evangelists, these hosts, these people who are really passionate about cannabis education as we continue to grow into new market, new markets. I have realized that I love what I do and I think I am not meant for balance. I think my life is a juggle and I'm really good. I'm a really good juggler and that's where my balance is. <laughs> we can thank you for helping the rest of us balance with your products. Right, exactly. I mean, I was at a conference um, pre-COVID and somebody, I was on a panel and the moderator said, what do you do to rest and unwind? And I was like, duh, I have a weed company. Hello. <laughs> like, I'm very fortunate that I don't have that issue. Well, Erin, this has been so great. I want to sincerely thank you for being on W420. If you missed any of this great interview with Aaron Gore, you can go to W420 Radio Network and click the archive section to listen to this and other great interviews. Congratulations to my friends over at W420 Radio Network on two years of fantastic and informative cannabis related content. Great job, guys. Mazel tov. As always, those of us who have been for years doing our best to make sure the world understood that cannabis is not a bad idea, suddenly 420 affords everybody the opportunity to get that information. And from Willie Brown, you got it. 420, listen closely. Thank you for taking part in America's Cannabis Conversation. To hear this show in its entirety, or to hear any of our archive shows, log on to americascannabisconversation.com and tune in for the next installment of America's Cannabis Conversation. W420RadioNetwork.com